Well, thanks very much, Kevin, and welcome to you all. Great to be here today. Thank you for coming. And we're going to turn now to Mark's Gospel and continue our studies in Mark's Gospel and look at this incident, which is recorded uh, from verses 14 to verse 29 in that. It's really, we're going to look at the subject of faith today, really, the subject of faith. That comes up, see if you can spot the word faith, believe, or synonyms of other synonyms of faith as we go through. You'll have noticed we sang in a hymn there. Um, It's very good. I'm assuming Kevin's read the passage and selected that hymn accordingly. I don't know why everyone's laughing, but I, I think we walk by faith and not by sight. For we know in Christ all things are possible. We all know sung that. And of course, as you'll see, that comes out of this passage today. So well done, Kevin, for selecting that hymn. So let's read um, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You moot and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So maybe you notice some words, faith in there, or words connected 
with faith in that passage. You know, all of us have faith. Everyone in this world has faith of some sort. Some sort. Um, Now you think, well, does everyone have faith in God? No, not everyone has faith in God, correct. But everyone has faith in something, something that they believe to be true, and thus they base their lives upon what they believe to be true. Some people think that they have faith in this. This world is all there is. And so they live their lives according to that. We will act in accordance with our beliefs, what we truly believe. What we truly believe, we will act in accordance with. As often you hear expressions of faith these days around, you'll believe in yourself. Uh, If you believe all things are possible, kind of drawn from the scripture, but we need to sort of analyse that and think what that means. Believe in yourself, all things are possible. Well, I could stand up on this roof and believe I could fly. I could really, really believe it sincerely. Is it possible? Of course not. So we need to think about that, don't we? A statement will we make such that. Trust the science. That was a recent one, wasn't it? Trust the science. Trust me. Many people say that and are scammed, aren't they? Trust me. So how much faith we have, or perhaps where we place our faith, is exceedingly important, isn't it? I'm going to drink this cup of water now. It's been in my hand for a couple of minutes. So we place our faith in in different people for different things, don't we? We go to the doctor and we have faith in what they will tell us, usually, usually, uh, more than we'll analyse ourselves. But we wouldn't trust the doctor for other things, would we? Um, We wouldn't trust the doctor necessarily to give us a philosophy, a worldview on life. We'd trust him for our health, but not other things as well. So it does matter where we place our faith. I think we all understand that. We all understand it does matter. The object of our faith is important, extremely important. And how much faith we have has importance to the measure of faith that we have. And so when we come to this passage today, it is a passage where the Lord Jesus Christ brings out the topic of faith. And the lessons that he taught to his disciples 2,000 years ago are very applicable for each and every one of us, for you, today. The lessons out of this passage, I will submit, are applicable for every single one of you on this day. We're going to think about the probability, or the problem rather, the problem of having faith in the wrong place. Faith in the wrong place. We'll look at the possibilities of when faith is in the right place. We have the object of our faith in the right place. And then the practice of faith in the right place. So we'll think about that. Let's think about then this problem of faith in the wrong place. As we consider this, the incident that has occurred here, what we remember is that something has already occurred down while the Lord Jesus Christ and Peter, James and John were up on a mountain. We see, if you just scan your eyes in your Bible, uh, uh, Peter, James and John were with the Lord Jesus Christ and they had this magnificent vision, the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ and they heard the voice of God from there. This is my beloved son. It was a picture uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ in his coming kingdom indeed. It's something that Peter would never forget. He would never forget that. And he wrote about it. 
he, he wrote about it, you know, we, and he wrote to believers, he says, you know, in Second Peter chapter 1, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he's referring to this incident there. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, we were with him on the holy mountain. So what an experience for Peter, James and John, that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to them, and they have witnessed, particularly Peter of course, to us about. Of course, that was his coming kingdom, a picture of that, I would suggest to you. But the Lord Jesus Christ had taught them. He had begun to teach, as we read in Mark chapter 8, that he must suffer many things. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So the Lord Jesus Christ was laying out the program in summary that he would he would be rejected, he would be killed and there would be a time where he would be away but then his kingdom would be established upon this earth. But while he is away he is out of sight of those who are so used to seeing him. Two and a half years now have gone and those disciples had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. They had witnessed the great power that he had, he had in his miracles that he did. They had heard his teaching. They had saw him as he taught them. But the Lord Jesus tenderly, graciously is going to teach them that they need faith. Because there'll be a time when they walk, as we've sung, not by sight, but by faith. And so this passage here, this scene if we like, is a great contrast, isn't it? Up on the mount, the Lord Jesus Christ is with those three disciples, and there's the witness of God. Down, what we're understanding just down is the other nine, and there's an inability for them to remedy a situation and it's a terrible situation as we'll think of a young boy his, uh, the only son of a father who has bought the boy and the disciples aren't able to do anything up on the mount there is a scene of glory and down here there's a scene of suffering up there there was the praise of the father about his son down here, there's the plea of another father concerning his son, who is so twisted and deformed by the consequences of sin in this world. And we could really say it's for the disciples, as they come down the mountain, it's coming back to earth with a bump. And so the Lord Jesus comes down and we've read together that um, the crowd were greatly amazed and ran to him. They were the one he wanted. He was the one they wanted to see. Um, he was the one the father had wanted to see, but he wasn't there. And the disciples were called to do something. And there's an argument going on, uh, an argument, maybe a discussion. Uh, we read in verse 16, we don't know what it was about or anything like that. You know, the scribes have come along. They always make an appearance, it would seem, uh, and seek to ridicule um, 
oppose the Lord Jesus Christ and here it seems as a great opportunity because the disciples haven't been able to do what they thought they could do and so they undoubtedly I think were ridiculing and questioning the teaching, the authority that they had because they couldn't do it the Lord Jesus Christ asks a question what are you arguing about another answer as far as we've got it recorded but we see that someone says something because someone in the crowd did answer him and is that father of this boy I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him moot and whenever it seizes him it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able Matthew, Matthew and Luke both record this incident and Matthew records that the, the man knelt at the feet of Jesus uh, he, he records also that he, he called him Lord appears as we see later the man has a measure of faith of course he did that's why he brought the boy to the Lord Jesus Christ that's why he brought his son that he believed that Jesus could do something for his son with regard to that and Matthew also records that he shouted out so we put that all together and surely we see a picture of someone with a great burden a great burden a feeling of helplessness and a belief that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who could do something the man recognises that there is nothing that he can do. He says actually he's possessed. He is possessed. He has a spirit. A demonic spirit that seeks to destroy him. Now we're not going to spend a long time speaking about demonic spirits and the devil and things like that. Sometimes in some places, probably not here, there's probably a bit too much emphasis. Uh, and sometimes in other places, maybe you could say here, I don't know there's no emphasis but the devil is real he is absolutely real and demons are real in this world demon possession now in this world I think is extremely rare it is very rare, it is not, it does still happen there, there seemed to be a lot of it when the Lord Jesus Christ was, was upon this earth that the, the forces of hell if you like the forces of the devil rather I should say were, was kind of a mass to try and stop him in his mission and the Lord Jesus Christ many times shows his great power out of them. But let's just really be clear at this. That there, are, there is a devil. He is created. He has what we could call delegated power. The power that he has. He seems to be quite powerful. That is a power that he's allowed to have by God. So the, you know, our God is uncreated. He is all powerful. The devil is not. But he does have great power and his demons work on his behalf as well. And he hates God. He seeks to lead people away from God and so do his demons. And to destroy every work of God. That is his operation. That is his purpose to do that. And in the life of this young boy he is seeking to destroy seeking to add to the defamation of the image of God that is in every single person and is in this young boy and he is destroying him and of course 
in the helplessness that the man faces, he comes before us and he says, well, those disciples of yours could not do anything. They tried, but they could not. Now that, actually, when we've gone through Mark's Gospel, should appear to us, we should, we should question, why not? Why, why could they not? Because, I mean, if you care to flick back, if you, if you want, and you'll, you'll probably remember this anyway if you've read Mark's Gospel, that in chapter 6, we, we read um, that they um, went out two by two, and if you look at verse 12, I'll just, you know, just give, give you this in Matthew, uh, pardon me, Mark 6, verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So there had been a mission where the twelve had gone out two by two and had, yes, preached that people should repent, but also had cast out demons, plural. You know, it wasn't just a one-off, it would appear, there was plural. They had done this before. And now they could not with this one. What's going on? Why did they fail? Well, the answer to that question comes in the answer or the statement of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19. O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now that statement, O faithless generation, could well apply to the crowd. Well apply to the scribes. I think really it applies to those disciples here. The Lord Jesus Christ is teaching them to trust in him. To believe in him, to rely upon him. He has taught them that and... The reason we're going to see why they could not do this is because of a lack of faith. Not faith in general, but a lack of faith in him. A lack of faith in him. Oh, they had faith, but at this point, their faith had looked away from him, it would seem. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you. So where did they put their faith? Well it doesn't say does it? But it undoubtedly wasn't there in the Lord Jesus Christ at this time for this purpose okay? For doing this work they had seemed to look probably to themselves to themselves I think that resonates with many of us here. But there can be times in our, for the believer, those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that faith sometimes doesn't always seem to look to him. Maybe we've been successful in some area of our life or some area of ministry. And we've relied truly upon him. We've realised our Helplessness, our own inability. And he graciously has worked in our lives. And maybe that's impacted us in some areas. And now we don't look to him 
in those areas. And we wonder why things aren't going for us well personally or as a church. Relying upon ourselves and not looking to him. Now we're going to think later on, could the Lord Jesus Christ have healed this boy without that faith? Yes, of course he could have done. He healed many people who didn't have faith in him. Many people who didn't have faith at all in him were healed by him. But this is a lesson of where the power is. And it's a lesson graciously given to primarily the disciples and to the others as he says that you are a faithless generation. They should have been trusting in him. They should have remembered, you know, from what we call Mark chapter 6, it was him who gave them authority to do those things. It was him who gave that power. They looked at him and did these things in Jesus' name. And when they in Jesus' name is not just a trite phrase, because it's done in his name, doing it in his name, and relying on his power to work through them. And now, on this episode, it seems... They have not. You know, it is hurtful, isn't it? You know, we, we think of the, sometimes of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the ways he suffered is this. Of those who should have trusted in him, not trusting in him. I think that equates with every person in this room to some degree. You know, maybe you've had experience in life when people you thought they should have trusted in you. But they exhibit they did not trust in you. And you understand the hurt you experience for that. Well, magnify that as many times more than you can to the Lord Jesus Christ. They had seen his power. They had heard his teaching. They had gone out in his name to do a great work. And they had succeeded. But now, maybe because some element of pride, that flesh that comes up in us all, thought they could do it on their own and they could not. And so the Lord Jesus Christ teaches them about having faith in the right place. It's not really how much faith we have, it's the object of our faith. And so having faith in the wrong place, the problem of having faith in the wrong place. And so in our next section, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you know, says to the man, well, you know, bring him to me, bring him to me. He, he says that. But before we get to that, we see they bring the boy to him. Uh, the spirit sees the Lord Jesus Christ it would seem and there's this one final uh, attempt at destroying this boy immediately we read he's convulsed the boy fell on the ground rolled about foaming at the mouth you know the, the, the destroyer of life is confronted by the giver of life the one who has the power of life is confronting the one who would love to destroy life. And the boy is convulsed. The Lord Jesus Christ asked this question. How long has this been happening to him? Well, you know, when you go to the doctor, as you have done, I'm sure, the doctor will often ask you a similar type of question. How long have you had these symptoms? Because he doesn't know. So he needs you to give him some information with regard to those symptoms, doesn't he? So he can make an accurate diagnosis, of perhaps, of what's going on. I assume that's what they do. I'm not medically trained, but I think I'm accurate in that. But the Lord Jesus Christ here is not asking for information. 
He, he knows how long this has been going on. So why is he asking? He wants to hear the, the father speak. So the father is not coming to an impersonal force. He's coming to a person who cares and desires to hear the burdens, the anxieties, the troubles, the distress of this person. And the same is true today. The same is true today. Does the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, know all your concerns, your anxieties, your distresses? Absolutely. But he desires to hear them from you. He desires that in that relationship with you. To hear them from you. Yes, he knows them all. He can express them far better than you can express them. But for the believer there is this. It is not a force you are coming to. It is a person. And there is a man standing before this Standing before this father, there is a man now in heaven. The believer can know this. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ can know this. That there is a man in heaven who sympathizes with their weaknesses, knows all about their struggles and toils upon this earth, and desires to hear the prayers of his people speaking to him. So he asks. And of course... The man gives the answer which the Lord knew, but he desired to hear this from childhood. The pain and despair of the man is evident, isn't it? And then he says this, if you can do anything, have compassion on this. If you can. Well, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ says back, isn't it? If you can. You know, are you kidding? <laughs> of course I can. But there is that doubt, isn't there, in the man? He's being honest. He's got a doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ can do anything. Now, as we articulate it here on a Sunday morning, we think, well, that's ridiculous. Of course the Lord Jesus Christ can. We've read all these miracles already. We know all that. Yes, intellectually we know that, don't we? Intellectually, we know that. But tell me, well, you don't tell me out loud, but we know what it's like in our life, don't we, as well? If you can. If you can. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he repeats that back, that is, I think, a rebuke. You could call it a mild rebuke if you like, but it's a rebuke out of tender compassion because he says, if you can, look, all things are possible for the one who believes. You know, with God, the inhumanly impossible, the humanly impossible is possible. This man is coming before the one who spoke everything into being. This man is coming to the one for whom and through whom all things were created. And so he can do whatever he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And the same is true today. The same is true today. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. He can do that. 
And so this man is rebuked, but we don't stand detached from that. We stand in that, don't we? Many of us. In that. Because we sometimes might doubt. By our actions, show it. We are doubting the, 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 our belief in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to do these things. Now, of course, then we read this statement, and it's one of those ones, if you put it on your kitchen wall, could be really taken out of context. I mean, you can put it on your kitchen wall, just as long as understand the context and the meaning, because it says all things are possible for one who believes. Now, if you just had that statement in itself and just plastered there, you could, you could go off to all sorts of places, couldn't you, and think of some right daft things. Uh, that would be quite possible. You, you know, all things are possible for the one who... Well, I lined up at the park run yesterday. I'd have loved to do a park run in 14 minutes. That would be kind of like close to a world record, you know. If I really believed it, would it happen? No, it wouldn't. There's a variety of answers for that. And I could give them, but I'm not going to. Uh, some of them are evident why that's not possible. But you can say yourself something. And to be more serious... You know, this verse has been abused as well. Uh, In churches, people have been told that if they just have faith, they will be cured of an illness. Or their relatives will be cured of a, you know, a deathly illness, a deathly disease. And what the problem is, they are told, is they don't have enough faith. Well, that on the more serious side is an abuse of scripture sometimes given by charlatans who uh, are just abusing people in that to say that you don't have enough faith to believe that you can be healed well if, if that was the case then why would anyone ever die so that's not what this verse is telling us friends and we need to be clear about that as well so what does it say? Well, it's really saying the Amplified Bible translates it like this, and this helps us a bit of clarity. All things are possible for the one who believes and trusts in me. So this is a promise, not, not that we can do whatever we want, and we, you know, we'll be able to do it, and these things, will, just if we believe, illnesses, all our illnesses will be curbed, you know, just because we believe, all fantastic achievements will be done, what we want to do, whatever that might be, for we believe, but it's the one who believes in Christ, in the power that he has, he, all the things, that's the access to the power. So faith only has its power, if you like, because of the one it believes in, the object of faith. That's important. We sometimes speak uh, about the power of prayer. Well, prayer is only powerful in the sense it accesses the one who is all-powerful. That's where it comes from. Prayer itself is just words. I hope I'm not speaking right. And it's, it's good. But it's accessing the one who has the power. That's where the power is. In Christ and in God. And he works through that. And through his people he can work in accordance with his will. Now as I said, could the Lord Jesus Christ have healed this person without anyone having any faith? Of course he could. And he often did. But it's a lesson. The possibilities for those who have faith in the right place. God's power is accessed through faith and prayer in accordance with his will. And we pray that. We pray that. And when we pray, when you pray and say, your will be done, you're recognising that God is sovereign control of that. 
We pray that people might be healed for the glory of God. But we understand there's no promise in scripture in this time that they will be. All things are possible for the one who believes. Some people doubt that if they trust in Christ alone they'll be saved. Scripture promises that those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ can rest on this. That all their sins will be forgiven them. They will be in a right relationship with God through trusting in him alone. Some people struggle with that. Thinking surely there's something I must do, some work I must do. I must pull my socks up and get myself a bit better. But scripture says no. Believe. Believe in the promises of Jesus Christ. Believe he will save you. Hebrews 7.25 says this. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. Now I know primarily the writer there is speaking of Christ's work in saving saints from the power of sin. But it is also true of the saving of sinners from the penalty of sin as well. He is able to save to the uttermost. Now when we have problems, when the believer has problems in life, Believe that those things that are contrary to God's will, for sinful thoughts, sinful patterns, hard to break it might seem. You can think what they are. Some people have problems with, with immorality problems on viewing things. Some people have problems in, in, in gossip and all that type of stuff. And it's a pattern. Can Christ break that power? Yes course he can all things are possible for the one who believes does he want to i believe the answer is yes okay so you look to him look to him to do that don't doubt god's power to supply the needed grace and the needed strength for the needed trial you know the man cries out a cry which you know many people feel like crying out as well lord i believe well we've seen there's a belief that's why he took the man to christ, his son to christ didn't he help my unbelief help my unbelief and for well pretty much every believer I'd say every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ I'd assume could utter a prayer like that Lord I believe help my unbelief help me really trust in, in for these things which are dealt with for a time help me for this this mountain that seems so high help me believe in that and i believe the lord will answer that request he'll answer that one lord i believe help my unbelief he'll answer that if that's generally said he will help your unbelief in certain areas whatever that might be if you come to him generally and so what happens then help my unbelief the last part of our section we'll go through this quite clearly is the practice of faith in the right place so a crowd are coming and Jesus uh, with the authority that he has tells the moot and the deaf spirit to come out of that young boy never enter him again this isn't going to be a partial just a temporary thing this is going to be a permanent thing and there is that again that sort of attempt to 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 deform the boy, to kill the boy, it appears that he is. And the Lord Jesus Christ has all the power, has all the authority, and is able to bring the boy up. 
to lift him up and the boy is standing up you know it really does picture salvation it really does picture the scriptures say about the one who is without Christ that they are dead in trespasses and sins that's not physically dead of course that's dead spiritually but Christ has that great power to bring someone to life you know Paul says to those who are Christians you once walked following the course of the world following the prince of the world this is the way that you walked and there's many ways that can be manifest and he says among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the mind we did that the body and the mind but God but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved you know the power of Christ is seen here but the power of Christ is seen in this world today in the lives of individuals coming to faith in Jesus Christ the spirit of God makes them alive and they respond that is the great power now as we close that's done and there's a sort of review if you like a review <coughs> disciples ask him why could we not cast it out why couldn't we why couldn't we do that and they receive a lesson and i think it's this in summary the power was not in them but in him they had been doing this faithless as the lord said looking to their own what they considered their own ability their own talent their own resources the lord jesus could have let them succeed he could have but graciously he's shown that the power is not in them it's in him and through him alone can the mighty works be done this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer now I'm going to suggest to you that he's not saying there don't assume then well there are kinds that can be you know there's some kinds that can be driven out no he's saying this, this, this type of work can't be done prayer prayer is how we articulate our dependence it's how the believer articulates their dependence upon God that is what prayer is the communication with a powerful God who can do a powerful work and the lesson they were learning that day was that faith in themselves is the wrong place to be they learned about the possibility of faith and the practice of faith was shown in prayer why do, why do, some, why do we struggle with prayer why do we struggle with part of the reason is this because we don't really believe it's effective don't really believe it's important we don't really believe it will change much but prayer is how we communicate with God how the believer communicates with God and place their dependence upon him to do the work in them and to do his work in this world we live by faith and not by sight for in Christ all things are possible may god bless his word to us let us pray father we just give thanks that today all of us have learned a lesson on faith maybe some here haven't placed faith in jesus christ ever for salvation
May your word do that convicting work here today in the lives of those who need it. And for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, may we understand afresh that is a life of faith. And may we, Father, when we pray that prayer, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Do it with genuine sincerity. And thus, Father, we know when we do that, we'll be more dependent on prayer, knowing that the power isn't in ourselves, but in you. Bless this time, we pray, because we come in Jesus' name. Amen.